It's five o'clock in pirate country, and it's time to get pumped up with the P-Man. Hit the door and hit the road. 94.3 The Game is going to get you home, and the P-Man's not holding back. Yes! Yes! Pirates win! Pirates win! Bring on the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Holy mackerel! Oh, my goodness! The flagship station of the ECU Pirates. All right, welcome in, everybody. It is uh, your Patrick Johnson show here on a overreaction Monday. Little armchair quarterback Monday. Welcome uh, in. I'll be headed to the uh, tiebreakers. Happy birthday, Bram Anderson, by the way. I'll be headed to tiebreakers in a little bit to talk with uh, Coach Houston, as will uh, Steve and I go join us. That's coming up at 6 o'clock on uh 94.3 94.3 The Game and other fine radio stations on the ECU Sports Network. But uh, right now, a little thing we like to call the PJ Show with our radio clubhouse uh, this afternoon. Philip the Ref Pilkington, fresh off a successful uh, trip to and from Charlotte. Uh, Pilk will be carrying through the uh, last little bit of the show as uh, he and Dom Kosolke witnessed uh, the debacle known as the Panthers-Vikings. Uh, whew. And uh, it was a uh, Vikes win over the Panthers. Did Dom give you any razzing, Philip the Ref Pilkington, or was he a a gracious guest of no, yours he, at the Panthers game? He was a very gracious guest, and I think uh, me knowing the Panthers were going to lose going into it may have may have probably helped to that one a little bit. But uh, he he was very respectful. We're going to have plenty of time to talk about this this week, but I mean, just a, a thought before we get to Sun Alder and plus Brian Mull will be joining us uh, today to talk about the other debacle that was known as the U.S. Uh, performance in the Ryder Cup. But uh, Pilk, uh, Bryce Young's not the guy. I mean, we've got to come to that conclusion, right? I disagree. I think he's throwing the ball over the middle of the field well. He's he's got to work on his balls outside the numbers, especially uh, the pressures in his face. I mean, he's getting sacked as much as Joe Burrow did his rookie year, and he looks better than Peyton Manning looked his rookie year. I'm not saying he's going to be Peyton Manning, but Peyton was atrocious as a rookie. 30 interceptions in he's, 16 games. He's diminutive, and he can't see over his offensive line, and he completes a decent percentage, but they're putting him in high-percentage throws. He can't push the ball down the field. Uh, this is uh, the Panthers have a lot of problems. They have a Listless. lot, and I don't think quarterback is is the, is the first problem. No, I think quarterback is not. It's not first one, but if you think of what they gave up to get him, it is a big problem. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of the trade. Just I don't think there's many guys coming out that I would be up for trading as much away as much as they did. I mean, you look at guys like Andrew Luck, John Elway coming out. Those guys were high enough to give up that much, but you've done what yeah. you've done. You've made your bed. you got to lay in it, and uh, I think there's a lot of knowledge in this room when you look at, at Frank Reich and Josh McCown, and uh, he's only four games in. 16 quarters is, uh, you know, like I said, there's a lot of guys I would hate it if you uh, judge them on their first 16 quarters in the nfl well he also missed a game so that's right 12 quarters 12 quarters 12 quarters yes all right uh well we'll we'll be plenty of time to get into that this week let's go now to uh our guest line where the one and only sunny sunholder espn college football analyst joins us here as he has done every monday this season on the patrick johnson show sunny What's going on? How are you? What's Ladies, up, he's with us on video in case you want to you want to check him out there. 
Um, well, we'll start with uh, East Carolina, Sonny. I mean, uh, 24-17, a loss to Rice in front of – there are more people on this call now than we're at that Rice game. I mean, that was atrocious. Just, just I mean, it, it looked like a COVID game. Yeah, I mean, that's the way it's always been. When I was there uh, back in 2005, 2007 timeframe, I think it was the same uh, crowd of about 10 people. It's probably the same people that were there. <laughs> but that's, <laughs> that's uh, uh, it's a tough atmosphere because you want to be playing in front of a full house and have that energy. And unfortunately, with their program, they don't have they don't have fans out there. And we kind of knew going into that ball game, it, it was going to be tough being on the road and, and you know kind of having to bring your own energy and just being in that atmosphere where there's no crowd crowd there. And usually you'd be like, oh, it should be easier because you know you don't have a loud stadium or you don't have those normal factors. But it, it's just a different challenge out there. And unfortunately for the Pirates, you know they they didn't get the result they were they were hoping for. I mean, there's nothing to draw off of there, nothing. I mean, you want a little bit of hostility if you're the it visiting is, team. It's it's sad when the walkthrough's about as loud as the actual game. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. That's unfortunately the deal there. <laughs> and I mean they've put a little money into the thing now, but it's just not it's not what it was, uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Um some positives i I think I would take from uh this and I and, and everybody's gonna accuse me of being softball lobbing positive pirate pat but that's okay i'll take it but you know i i thought when he had time alex flynn is looking more and more comfortable now he got pretty beat up in this game uh javius bond was our best running back uh soul not sal soul chase soul has at least in this game emerged as somebody who could make a catch on a 50 50 ball pirates had a couple of others that they weren't able to get. Um, so, yeah, I, I really, you know, the concern is you get down into the red zone or you get down in the goal-to-go situation and you cannot produce points. That, to me, in this game is is the concern. I The fans have been angry all year, so, I mean, we've railed on them. We've, we've heard, seen what they've had to say. Fine. But I do agree that... Uh, it is a little disconcerting to get the ball in a goal-to-go situation. You have a bigger offensive line, and you're not able to punch it in in some of these uh, situations. And you had three opportunities after they took the lead. You got the football back, and you couldn't do anything uh, with it. So, I mean, you know, while there are positives, there are still areas that uh, need vast improvement. Well, and that's the thing about it is those positives that we're seeing – you're going to need you're going to need those moving forward, but the the areas of improvement have to get fixed. And the red zone issues, you know, in, in order to win, you've got to clean that up. And I know that that's going to be a major focus this week in practice and moving forward. So you you would think that's going to get corrected because there's going to be a spotlight on that. It's just unfortunate, you know, ECU wasn't able to connect in that ball game because if they were able to execute, you know, probably would have resulted in a win and a different outcome. So, um, you know, you just wish that you just wish that that ball game could have been a win because then you got two wins in a row heading into the bye week with a huge home game against SMU coming up, and it could be a different story. Right now, you know, the momentum from the Gardner Webb game kind of stopped because because this game didn't go our way, and yeah, you know, I think I think. 
the the players, the coaches, the fan base, you know, everybody is upset after this one because it's one they really wanted and we could have had. It's all going to be about now putting that behind us and then making sure there, there's vast improvement during this bye week because this SMU this SMU team coming in is going to be it's going to be a test and we're going to have to play a lot better and fix some of those areas. SMU handled Charlotte over the weekend. The great Kevin Wiggins who played uh, for the uh, Pirates uh, back on uh, the Liberty Bowl teams, sent me this uh, yesterday. Out of 130 teams, ECU is 122nd in penalties. It's not a good number. It means you're top 10 in penalties committed. Uh, Total offense, 128. Passing efficiency, 129. Rush offense, 91st. Passing offense, 120th. Interceptions, 114th, which means you're throwing a lot. First downs, 121st, third downs, 95th, fourth downs, 86th, sacks allowed, 76th, time of possession, 81st, although they won the time of possession battle at Rice, red zone offense, 20th, field goals improved the number. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's still a real problem offensively. When you get to the open week, usually you are – Maybe, okay, here's what we have not done well. How do we improve it or do we flush it and go in a different direction? And how do we accentuate what we've done well? Uh, You're you're still probably going to get a week of good on good. You're going to try to get younger guys reps. But how much does this period change this week where you have no game? I know the team was off yesterday. How does all this sort of change, Sonny? Uh, over the yeah. next uh, several days where it's a little different than maybe the normal bye week? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. Going into every bye week, I always wanted to win because if you have a win on a bye week, it makes things so much easier and so much better. When you have a loss going into a bye week, kind of expect for it to be pretty miserable because you can't get that taste out of your mouth. And you have to expect, you know, on the outside looking in, what what I believe is happening is, you know, positions are going to be up for grabs and there's a full evaluation all the way from the top to the bottom as far as how to get things fixed. And this isn't going to be an easy period. I mean, with this extra time, the team, the coaching staff, everybody is going to work. And really, you know, it's it's going to be open there. You know, whoever steps up, there's going to be a competition. It's going to be good on good. The coaching staff, I'm sure, is looking at everything from A to Z, you know, including, you know, play calling, including schemes, including, you know, everything how to get things fixed, how to make things better. In addition to scouting SMU and getting a leg up there, they're, they're opening everything up on their end to try to find ways to improve them with the players. I mean, they're, they're going to be going hard at practice because obviously there's got to be improvement, you know, in all levels of the organization. A to the Z, as the late great Iron Sheik would say. A to the Z. That's what you got to take care of this week, everything. Um, defensively, now Rice didn't run the ball. JT Daniels is so good, even on, uh, you know, a bad wheel, was still effective. Wasn't great, but effective. I thought the Pirates did a pretty decent job of bottling up Luke McCaffrey until the fourth quarter came around. And again, I think there was a little bit of fatigue there for ECU in the fourth defensively because they're just out on the field so much. But, um, you know, I, I... I, again, like what I saw out of the Pirate defense, and right now that's the bright spot. of the. I mean, look, as crummy as things are at one and four, I mean, gosh, the, the defense has at least kept the team in games 
where they've had an opportunity save Michigan. I mean, they, you know, I think you you toss the Michigan out, you toss uh, Gardner Webb out, even though it was a win. And I think what we've seen in those three games is a defense that has allowed you to stay within contact of your opponent. And maybe that's something you can build on. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the, the way I look at it is, you know, there are bright spots. And, and even on offense, there are guys that have stepped up and shown promise um, on defense. Yeah, there's just know, not been any field. consistency on offense. There's been no consistency yeah. on offense. Right. But, but on defense, there's bright spots. But, I mean, th- there has to be improvement everywhere even on the defensive side. Right. I mean, the defense can be better. The Everything needs to be, you know, evaluated. I do think the defense has been physical and given, given the team a chance. I just think moving forward, again, it, it's not where they want to be, and the record isn't there. Um, and, you know, just the performance overall, it's, it's kind of disappointing, right? But now, uh, all about moving forward. It doesn't mean like it's going to be like this for the rest of the year. It, shoot, it could get worse, but it could be better. It's all about improvement, right. trying to stay healthy, and making sure that these mistakes are fixed because there's still a lot of the season left, and yet right now it doesn't look good. But if guys step up, if things are different, if things change, they can get on a hot streak. You know, it's not like we're going through the AFC East schedule here. I mean, the American right. good teams, but if, if well, we're the Americans up for grabs. Right, the yeah, American. I mean, you got Tulane, but there's nobody. Even Tulane isn't got it. Doesn't have a stranglehold. I'm not saying East Carolina could make the conference championship, although mathematically they could. But I think you have an opportunity, really, to be in every game. Yeah. I mean, in other words, you know, even though somebody's the favorite according to Vegas, as this game proved, you you should be able to stay in every game in the conference. And and if you improve on these things, you should be able to rack up some wins, I would think. Yeah. But gosh, there's just got to be a lot of improvement. Well, and that that's the thing. I mean, if there is an improvement, you could lose all these games. But if there is improvement, you, yeah. like there is no team on this schedule that's left that is scary. Now, if you don't play well, you could lose all of them. But if you improve, I mean, realistically, there there's no ceiling on this because – it's there for the taking, but again, you've got to fix these issues. And I think this bye week, you know, again, it's it's not going to be fun for the players and the coaches, but this is the right time to have it. All right, Sonny Sunhalder, going to be back with us. More to come. Uh, we're going to get into some other college football. Don't forget, inside Pirate Athletics with Coach Houston coming up tonight from Tiebreakers. Brian Mull still to come this uh, half hour. Big Sunny guy is Brian Mull. Uh, so we'll uh, have more with Jay, Philip the Ref Pilkington with an update. All of that still to come. You ready for this? Oh, I'm very ready. Okay, ready? You ready? Streaming to the world at 943thegame.com. This is the Patrick Johnson Show. Now in all his glory, here's the P-Man. All right, Sonny Sunholder on an overreaction Monday uh, here. You know, uh, Sonny, we're both guys that watch the NFL. We enjoy it. I don't have a team. You really don't have a team. Um, but, boy, Sam Howell, what a throw he made to send that game into overtime yesterday against the Eagles. And then I think it was a catch along the sideline. It was ruled incomplete. But I, he got kind of hosed on that call, as did Riverboat Ron Rivera. But. Uh, I just felt like saying that because that was some decent ball. That was really the only decent game I watched yesterday. Everything else, watched a little bit of the game in the morning, 
And uh, boy, Atlanta's stinky. Whew. It's a bad football. You watched team. Taylor Swift last night. Don't lie. I actually did not. I saw all the stuff this morning on um, <laughs> social media about it, and that was uh, whose box looked like. Whose box would you have rather been in? The Swift box with all the other stars, or the Aaron Rodgers box? I know which one I would have rather been in. But which Aaron one would Rogers. you, Mister Social? Aaron okay, see, that's surprising. I'd have rather been in. I, I'm going to surprise you. I'd have rather been in the Swifty box because you know I love. You know I love stars, and I've been rubbing elbows with stars. <laughs> you thought I was going to say Aaron Rodgers because it was very peaceful and quiet and uh, in there, but you surprised everybody by saying you wanted to be in the Aaron Rodgers box, and everybody thought you, the social butterfly, would want to be in there with Swifty. I'm the one that loves stars, so that's why uh, I would be around uh, that. All right, um, I want to talk about NC State. Uh, they lost to... Louisville on uh, Friday night uh, had a lead in that game. I think we're up 10 to nothing even at, at one point and, and lost that game. Uh, they've got Marshall coming to town this weekend. It's going to be on that hideous uh, CW Network production that uh, the ACC is doing. And it's, it is whew, like Cable 7 is higher quality than, than that so far. But let me ask you something. Um, I mean, the Packer had trouble this weekend. Marshall could be five and zero very easily after this. I mean, any anybody in Wolfpack Nation that thinks, okay, well, we'll have a chance to get it right this weekend against the Thundering Herd is sorely mistaken. I mean, honestly, I think a lot of the fans are worried because they don't have confidence in their team, and I, I think they, well, they have no be quarterback. Well, their offense is bad. Yeah, and. Marshall's Marshall is going to be motivated. I haven't seen the spread on that yet, but I would not be surprised if Marshall won that game. And state schedule is tough coming up here. I mean, they're to me, best case scenario six and six for them. I mean, they've got Marshall, then they'll be at Duke, and you know Duke will be mad. We're going to talk about the Blue Devils in a minute. They got Clemson there. Uh, Clemson's better. Miami coming to town. Miami's better. Wake. That's always a toss up. Virginia Tech is maybe a win. At Virginia Tech. Because they're though. so bad. Yeah, it's at Virginia Tech. Good point. And then the uh, Tar Heels, who are right now a better team. So, I mean, uh, you you say six wins. I think they'll be lucky to eke out five. Well, I think six is best-case scenario. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe I, so. To me, to, me, to me, if they lose this game, if they lose this game Saturday, it could be a four, you know, it could be four, four wins. They're not going bowling if they if they lose Saturday. Uh, no. Boy, my heart broke uh, w- with Duke on uh, Friday night or Saturday night. Uh, they, I'm not gonna say they were the better team than Notre Dame, but boy, Notre Dame did not look sharp and was really lucky to get out of there. Uh, you know, you can argue if Duke should have blitzed on fourth down, where Sam. Uh, What's his name? Ran for uh, I won't say Sam Howell, but it's not Hartman. Sam Hartman. Ran for the first uh, down, but you know if you're not going to, bl- I understand why you don't blitz there, but you at least put a spy on Hartman. You know, yeah. and the kid from Washington Moore had the inter- if he intercepts it, then it's over. So I mean, uh, the thing, the, the the big takeaway from this is how hurt is Riley Leonard, and if he is really badly hurt, and not going to be around for a while then Duke's season goes from very special to, you know, maybe a bowl. 
um, if he can recover from this pretty quickly, and they do have the open week this week, so that helps, then I think this is uh, still a season where they could be a player, because this wasn't an ACC loss. Um, so there's still a lot for Duke to play for right now. Yeah, I mean, on his injury, I think the initial look as it's a high ankle sprain. So yeah. if he can get back here in a few weeks, I, Duke's going to be fine. I just felt terrible for them because they really could have and should have won that game. But it just goes to show you every game can come down to one or two plays. And if they would have stopped Notre Dame on that fourth and 16 when Hartman scrambled for it, they would have won the game and then Riley Leonard would have been healthy. So, <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. it's unfortunate well, and it's amazing. And they did kind of everything they had to do is just Notre Dame. The difference between Notre Dame was they had the ball and they've got a portal quarterback that made a play. And, um, you know, they made a play and then they, uh, you know, kind of got lucky with that next running play that they scored the touchdown on. And then Duke, you know, Duke just ran out of time and ran out of gas there at the end. But I, I was really impressed with Duke and what they were able to do in that game. I just fell for them because they probably deserved to win that. Devils off this week. Then they'll have State we just talked about, but then they go to Florida State. They go to Louisville, so they've got a pretty challenging stretch uh, coming up here the rest of the month of uh, October before uh, they flip over to November and, and then have some chances. They'll also play Carolina in the month of November. All right, um, Sonny, as far as uh, games this week, uh, I'm looking ahead. I'm, I'm taking a peek. I'm trying to get uh, – an idea of what we've got on the docket. Uh, the, oh, before we do that, uh, our guy Joe Sloan. We love Joe. Uh, tough loss for for LSU this weekend. Um, it. I mean, you talk about just a and, and look a great win for Ole Miss. They're still in the thick of things in the West. The West is wide open. I mean, I had no. I had LSU as kind of a dark horse national candidate, national championship candidate team. I thought they could do it year two with Brian Kelly and Jaden Daniels coming back. That's a tough place on the road, though. I mean, at Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin, they, they're going to score points. Um, you know, Felt bad for LSU in that game because obviously love Joe and and uh, he's an amazing coach and somebody that has such a bright future. Um, quarterback coach there with LSU. But uh, yep, that, that's a tough place. Yeah. yeah, tough place to play. And, uh, you know, I, I, think, <laughs> I think A&M has a chance to win the West. I think – uh, Ole Miss does, uh, you know, along with with Alabama, that that sets LSU back. They're going to have to run the table, but um, I, I think that West is wide open now, probably more so than it's been in, in <laughs> ever since Nick Saban's been been at Alabama. So you got Bama at A and M this weekend uh, on CBS three thirty. I, I mean, that's this is huge for A and M, and look what's happening there. Bobby Petrino, the offensive coordinator, only one loss. Real. That's yeah, yeah against Miami, which is a really good team. So, you know, Jimbo Fisher has that big contract, and uh, you know, there's pressure on him. This is this is probably the year where he needs to break through. Did we lose the Sun Dog? It appears we did. Sun Dog. It appears we lost the Sun Dog. All right. Well, that is uh, that there, also Oklahoma, Texas. We'll talk with Doug Martin about all that coming up. Uh, good to have Sonny on, as it always is. We love him. Uh, I want to talk about this uh, complete disaster that was the uh, Ryder Cup, and we're going to get Brian Maul on next segment to do that. Pilk, you ready for a 
94.3 The Game Sports Update and Pirate Report, because if you are, we're going to kick it to you right now. Always am. All right. Here he is, Philip the Ref Pilkington. Stay tuned, Brian Mall still to come. Thanks, Patrick. Philip Pilkington here with your 94-3 The Game Sports Flash update and pirate report. We will start with the Pirates, who fell 27-17 to Rice over the weekend. And in the postgame, Coach Houston said that it was just too many missed opportunities from his team. Well, I think just the game in general, um, we just we just had too many missed opportunities to win it. And, uh, you know, you're going to be able to look back at uh, – you know, several big plays where we had a chance, uh, didn't make the play, and that's that's the difference in winning and losing. Staying in Pirate Athletics, over the past weekend, volleyball split their two matches with FAU. The Pirates won three to nothing on Friday before falling three sets to one on Saturday. The team is now three and two in league play and will host Tulane this Friday at six o'clock inside Williams Arena Minji's Coliseum. Matches or er, tickets to volleyball matches all season long are always free. East Carolina women's swimming put an impressive performance out in their first meet of the 2023 season in a sweeping victory over Gardner-Webb. Catawba and Barton. Three Pirates won multiple events. Kaylee Hamblin was first place in the 1 and 200 meter breaststroke. Sadie Covington in the 500 and 1000 meter freestyle. And Sarah Kolofsky in the 1 and 200 meter butterfly. Elsewhere this weekend, Europeans defeated the U.S. 16.5 to 11.5 in the Ryder Cup. This is the U.S.'s seventh straight loss on European soil dating back to 1993. The Carolina Panthers fell to 0-4 this weekend with a 21-13 loss to the Minnesota Vikings in a game in which the offense failed to score a touchdown. The Long Panthers' score came on a 99-yard pick six from Sam Franklin Jr. The Panthers will travel to Detroit this weekend. That game can be heard on our sister station, Talk 103.7. In NASCAR, Ryan Blaney punched his ticket to the round of eight with a win at the Talladega Super Speedway, his third win at NASCAR's largest oval. And the Cup Series will head to Charlotte for the Roval this weekend in the round of 12 elimination race. That'll do it for your 94.3 Game Sports Flash update and pirate report. On the other side of this timeout, we will be joined by Brian Mole to talk more about that Ryder Cup loss from the United States. Download the new IBX Media app now and get the show for your ears and eyes. Doesn't it look great on me? This is the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. All right, uh, we had Brian Mall on last week to preview things. I wanted to get him back on today. Brian, of course, uh, covers the PGA, covers golf uh, from all angles, at BG Mole on Twitter. Writer for hire, you will uh, see his work in uh, places you didn't even know existed. Uh, Brian Mall with us here on the Patrick Johnson Show. So uh, good to see you again, Mall. You know, I, I thought this weekend was a complete embarrassment again. For the U.S. In, in, on European soil, um, I get that they played better Sunday, but, I mean, you talk about too little too late. Friday was embarrassing, and then the behavior of everybody on Saturday was just a big turnoff, too. Yeah, I'm sitting there, uh, got up in the middle of the night uh, like a lunatic <laughs> on uh, Friday <laughs> to watch and the foursomes, and I thought maybe I was still asleep, but then I realized I was just watching a replay of the movie I've seen every time that uh, we've contested this thing in Europe. It seems like the last 30 years of just uh, poor play by the Americans, clutch play by the Europeans, uh, and 
really just dug themselves too big of a hole where uh, Saturday and Sunday were just a formality um, with, with with two sides that evenly matched. You just can't afford to get skunked right out of the gate. And that just puts, uh, you know, way too much pressure and allows the some of the younger Europeans to play freely, as we saw from Robert McIntyre, who was generally considered the, the weakest pl- player on either team and yet ended up with two and a half points because, uh, you know, they were able to use him accordingly and uh, he didn't feel a whole lot of pressure, obviously. And, uh, yeah, just a, a, a disappointing effort by the Americans. I think it uh, exposed – a lack of ta- really alpha top talent and over here. We have a lot of very good players at the time, but uh, really when you look at the, the three best players uh, were clearly on the European side in Rory, Rom, and Victor Hovland. Yeah, they're the three, three of the best in the world. I mean, I, yeah. I, I roll a, a majority of stuff Rory does, but you can't deny his game. Rom is fantastic, and we talked about Hovland. I, right now he's the best player in the world, I think. Uh, Victor Hovland going into into next year. Um, what what was the deal with Cantlay, and did that sort of dour spirit cast a a cloud over the whole locker room, or were there problems deeper than that? And that was just uh, the one that bubbled to the forefront. Well, some more reporting today from a very credible source, the Sunday Times, uh, uh, quoting Xander Shoffley's father, who is also his swing coach and travels with him extensively. I've had the opportunity to meet him at Augusta. Um, and uh, uh, someone who's not afraid to tell you how he feels and uh, said basically that uh, there was a dispute about the uh, the Netflix documentary, which was filming uh, season its second season. Um last week and uh, Shoffley not wanting to allow the cameras into the team room, uh, maybe a compensation issue, really uh, hard to get some clarity there. Cantley, his buddy was obviously in solidarity with him. The players voted unanimously not to allow the cameras in there because they didn't want anything disruptive. Uh, just, uh, you know, another example of the tumultuous time we're in in pro golf, the division, uh, certainly players have the right to uh, to understand where the money is coming from. Uh, but it's just uh, we're just in an interesting time where uh, where it, it just seems like the Ryder Cup is, is taking on a completely different face, at least from the side of, of the U.S. Well, the thing that to me I'm struck by every year, even two years ago when the U.S. just dominated the European team, historically dominated them, is this means more to the Euros than it does the United States. That, that to me, I can't help but, but see that. Now, it's easy when you win to celebrate like they were, but they also were hurting two years ago to a man. I, you just don't see that from the United States team, and I, I don't understand why. Yeah, I saw a lot of laughter in the uh, post-game press conference from the American side yesterday, and I guess that's one way to to deal with grief when when you've been thoroughly outplayed and outclassed in, in front of the whole world. But uh, yeah, the Europeans they they've always been a, been a tighter group. I don't think anyone could deny that. And regardless of how they feel about one another, they're able to put any of those differences aside and play for something bigger than themselves during these three days. And I think now they've really channeled. Um, the spirit of Seve Ballesteros, who, let's face it, was was the one person 
who who instigated the turnaround uh, from this being a one-sided affair as it was for many years when, when the rest of Europe was allowed to join the team. And now with Rom on the team, certainly an admirer of his, a fellow countryman, um, they've really just rallied around that spirit and not let that go. And look, let's be honest. When you look at Luke Donald's record in the Ryder Cup, it was exemplary. When you look at all their vice captains, they were all winners. When you look at the captains of the American team, they generally had a losing record and a history of losing, especially on foreign soil. Uh, all of the vice captains have horrible records in the Ryder Cup. Steve Stricker, Jim Furyk, none of those guys ever performed on that level. So it's just uh, it's a group that's trying to do it versus a group that has done it consistently for three decades. Why don't we just let, turn this thing over to Tiger and dare I even say Phil, and let's just let's make this a priority. I mean, why do we have to continue to to put people at the top and in the decision that are? I mean, because essentially some guys wanted to take their buddies to Rome is what this smacks of. Yeah, we need to simplify the whole process, and we need a stronger leader. I'm voting for Tiger and Nick Saban. As co-captains, Nick will probably be done with Alabama football by the next time they go over to Europe. He loves golf. And you want to talk about someone who can coach, motivate, organize, and lead and would have the respect of the team. I mean, I don't. he knows enough about golf. He's not going to make any of the, the, those decisions. But just someone in there that um, has the respect of the players and uh, – you know, we, they need to look outside the box. There's no doubt about it. This handing, handing it down to the next guy up when none of them have proven to be very good at their job, it, it's uh, it, you're going to continue to get the same results. And, I, um, you know, certainly the Americans will be a slight favorite, most likely in two years in New York. I can only imagine what that atmosphere is going to be, be like. I'm certain it'll cross many lines. But when you look at um, just the, the nature of the system, you know, this uh, – this uh, idea that they came up with eight or nine years ago where they were going to revamp everything. Well, it frankly hasn't worked. Uh, they've been blown out the last two times that they've played overseas and uh, can't even win the singles anymore. That was always a given for many years that even uh, though the Americans may struggle in the team format, they could always make a charge in the singles, but they couldn't even do that this time. You didn't have Will Zalatoris. So that's, you know, a, a, like a good young player that, has a little bit of a killer instinct in the game to back it up. So we'll see where he is in his future. Um, I don't think the American team was old. I just don't think the selections were very good. The captain's picks were just not very good. They were not very inspired. You didn't you didn't bring guys who were hot yeah. with you to this thing. And I, I just I think I, I still say uh, no Bryson DeChambeau was a mistake. Uh, who was the guy that got hot at the end of the season? And, Lucas and, uh, yeah, Lucas. I mean, why not bring Luke? I mean, Lucas Glover had figured out his putter. He's got all other aspects of his game. I mean, to me, it, the European guys not only were engaged, but you had guys who had been playing. Uh, I do see the value in taking some time off because it's a long season, but go with the hot hand. I just don't think the U.S. did that. Five weeks off of competition is a really, really long time. I don't care what your skill level is. You would never see someone intentionally take anything close to that off prior to a big tournament, one of the four majors or any other event. And a lot of times when those guys come back in January after having a, a long layoff, they have to chip away some rust, which makes sense. But 
the way this the schedule fell, uh, Homa and Thomas were really the only two players who had played any competitive golf at all in five weeks. And Homa and, was uh, great. That Homa was spectacular. Thomas did that because he missed the playoffs. Um, yeah. You know. But Jordan Homa Spieth was fantastic. Baby, yeah. yeah, Homa was the best player by far. Uh, certainly Cantley played great as well. And then after that, it w- was a whole lot of just uh, disappointment. Um, yeah, the schedule is what it is. There's nothing you can control about that. It would have been nice to see some of those guys come over and play in the big event uh, that uh, really show, turned out to be an, a barometer of what was going to happen with uh, you know the BMW PGA a couple of weeks ago because 10 of the Europeans finished in the top 20 in that event. All right. We'll talk to you soon. At some, uh, well, basketball's right around the corner. That's yeah. the good news. So we'll talk to you some, uh, obviously, there. Uh, the great Brian Mole, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Got to figure this thing out in the Ryder Cup. Got to figure it out. I like the idea of Nick Saban going, though. I think that's a great, great idea, actually. He can, he can miss college game day for a couple weeks. He'll be okay. They can, yeah. con- they can connect him like we've connected here and have him on the set. for Because that's no where he's going next, according to Dimitri Ravanos. He's going to college game day after he retires this year. So, yeah, why not? He can miss a couple All right, weeks. Mo, thanks. Yeah, he can miss it. They, don't, they got McAfee. They don't need him there for two weeks, right? They can, he yeah. can have, actually, they do need him. He'd be, he's a, he'd be a, I watched that thing for the first time this weekend I'm because sorry. I didn't have anything and they were at Durham and I was kind of anxious to see, you know, curious to, whoo, I don't watch that show normally and I can't say I'll be returning. It is wolf. Oh, and everybody wants to pin it on McAfee. It's unwatchable, period. Period. It's just unwatchable. Period. Yeah. Patrick, they fired their best analyst in David Pollock. He was the one who carried the show last year, and ESPN laid him off. But they have the money to make an NFL game look like Toy Story, but they don't have the money to keep their best analyst. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> look at Pilk, and you'll get more pithiness from Philip the Ref Pilkington after this commercial message. Thanks to Brian Mull. Thanks to Sonny. I'll bet it over to Tiebreakers. Uh, we'll catch up uh, with you tomorrow in the morning on Talk of the Town and then uh, obviously, five o'clock for the Patrick Johnson show. Where, speaking of ESPN, Marty Smith will be our guest tomorrow from ESPN. Looking forward to talking to him tomorrow. No Houston Huddle, so we got Marty Smith tomorrow. Uh, I'll see you in a few minutes also at Tiebreakers, but right now, the ref, Philip Pilkington, on the other side with a pirate report and more. Welcome in to the final segment of the Monday of the Patrick Johnson Show. Philip Pilkington will be taking you home. His Patrick is on his way over to Tiebreakers right now to meet up with the host of Hoist the Colors, Steve and Igo, as well as Coach Mike Houston of the ECU Pirates for their weekly show. So, wrapping it up here, we will have this week's, or today's, I'm sorry, Pirate Report. And now, Patrick Johnson with today's Pirate Report on the flagship station of the ECU Pirates, 94.3 The Game. We already heard one of the cuts earlier from Coach Houston about the missed opportunities, and that kind of was the story of the game for East Carolina 
uh, just really looked better. And uh, if you look at the stats, they played better, but unfortunately could not bring it home. And a lot of that had to do with their ability to uh, make plays in big moments and make plays down and around the goal line. So that was the uh, earlier cut from Coach Houston. And uh, now we're going to hear Coach Houston talk about the quarterback play from this past weekend. Yeah, we did, did some good things, and then at the same time, you know, had uh, you know, had, obviously had a costly interception, and then uh, just you know, got to got to get a little bit more consistency with uh, with not only his play, but I mean, we had we had too many drops, yeah. and I mean, it's you had some big drops tonight. The Pirates definitely did. Uh, Alex Flynn went twenty-one for twenty-four in that game. However, had seven drop balls by. Pirate wide receivers. Moving over to the defensive side of the ball, the main factor in the Rice offense was Luke McCaffrey, brother of Christian McCaffrey. And luckily for the Pirates, he only had as many touches as Christian did touchdowns yesterday, which was four. Luke ran the ball one time for five yards and had three catches for 44 yards. And here's Coach Houston on the defense's ability to stop the star of the Rice Owls offense. We bracketed him most of the night and, uh, you know, I, I, I thought our kids played really hard and did a really good job with our with our plan there. Um, you know, I just I, I hate to let the screen pass get out on us in the, in the fourth quarter. Defensive player Chad Stevens also give gave excuse me his thoughts on the uh, defense's ability to stop McCaffrey. Yeah, that goes all to our second door secondary. We got really good guys back there: uh, Siobhan, Teagan, Jay Wood, uh, the young freshman coming in. So. We got a lot of guys back there that can defend balls at a high level. Overall, the defense looked pretty good, letting up under 300 yards of offense. Yes, JT Daniels was playing a little banged up, but they did play pretty well overall, especially in stopping the run. And Chad Stevens talked about the overall execution of the Pirate defense in Saturday night's contest. Yeah, it felt good. Um, I got a lot of help from my dudes inside. Uh, big taste, Sue Red, Big Shoe, all those guys pushing the pocket pushing them out to me, uh, Jerem on the other side, him and Jack, you know, pushing them out to me. So it was good execution all around. It was, and uh, he was also later talked about the game that he personally had. All week in practice, I've just been working on, you know, the little things, um, just trying to perfect my craft and get better. I knew this was a big game for us, so I um, just wanted to go out there and execute and do my 111. This is the uh, Pirate Report here on the Monday edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. Uh, if you're just joining us, uh, you can always go back and hear the show in our entirety on the IBX Media app as uh, we were joined earlier in the show by Jay Sunhalter as well as Brian Mole. So we're going to move on to Rajay Harris here. Rajay did have 15 touches for 46 yards and a touchdown. Pretty good stats, but Rajay says it's all about the team winning and not about his stats. Uh, yeah, man, I try to do my best every single play, man. Uh, man, as long as we win, I don't care about my, my stats, man, my yards, man. I really don't care about that too much. Um, I'm really just trying to win, trying to do whatever I can do to to be successful, be a successful leader um, around around these great group of guys. So, man, as long as we win it, man, it really don't matter, man. That'll do it for our Pirate Report here on the Monday edition of the Patrick Johnson Show as we are leading you into the Coach's Show as part of ECU Sports Properties over at Tiebreakers. Stay tuned in right here on 94.3 The Game or make it on over to Tiebreakers, however we are in the waning minutes. And from what I hear, there's always a pretty good crowd there, so it might be a little tough to get a seat, so you might just want to stay right here on 94.3 The Game. However, uh, hopefully there is 
Still a great crowd at tiebreakers. Pirates do fall to one and four on the season and 0-1 in league play after that loss to the Rice Owls. Uh, Rice, a team who really offensively had looked really good throughout the year, especially JT Daniels and Luke McCaffrey. Like we talked about earlier, the Pirates did a really good job stopping the two of those, but uh, Pirates unable to put up points, even though they moved the ball well. I think it was definitely the best game we had seen all year from Pirate receivers, both Chase Sowell and Josiah Hatfield, who play on the outsides. Much better job getting separation, seeing a lot of improvement from the receivers. Uh, still would like to limit some of those drops. I think seven drops, you know, that's just too many in in any level of football. You should not have seven drops in a game. And uh, I think it's the easiest thing to fix for receivers is, is just looking the ball into your hands. And, you know, I don't know if they need to change up some of the drills at practice, uh, if they need to stick these, you know, on this bye week, go over to the baseball field and stick these kids at first base and, you know, throw some balls in the dirt to them and have them look the ball into the glove. I don't know, something to just come up to, to get it to looking into their hands because, like I said, it really is the easiest thing to fix as a wide receiver. And some of the things that are tougher to fix, like getting separation, running physical routes, line spacing, and all that, they're doing a much better job of than they were earlier in the season. So uh, props to those guys for what they have fixed, but obviously some improvement there needs to happen. I mean, if you have a drop a game, maybe two for a whole team, um, you know, you can live with that, but to drop seven balls, and that's just really been kind of a uh, a reoccurring factor for the Pirates, if you will. But hey, um, hopefully they can get figured out here in the bye week. Uh, Pirates will t- host SMU, so a little bit of a shorter bye week, though. But hey, could you think of any better time to play a Thursday night game than a home Thursday night game coming off a of bye week? They will host the Mustangs next week. Uh, right here in Greenville, 7.30 will be that kickoff. Our network coverage will start at 6.30, and uh, Pirate Game Day countdown will be at 4.30 that day. I believe it will be a Patrick Johnson show, actually, at 3.30. So Patrick going a little early next week for uh, that on Thursday. But uh, tomorrow he will be joined by Marty Smith, so be sure to tune in. Yes, that Marty Smith of ESPN, the football analyst, former NASCAR analyst to talk college football as uh, week five now in college football is wrapped up, week six on the horizon uh, for the NCAA FBS football ranks. So that'll do it for your Monday edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks to the P-Man who had to split a little early to get over tiebreakers. Thanks to Brian Mull and to Jay Sunhalter. We hope you will tune in tomorrow and stay tuned right here on 94.3 The Game for the Coaches Show with our guy Patrick Johnson, Stephen Igo, and Coach Mike Houston. Have a great rest of your Monday evening, Pirate Nation. Mm-hmm.